I'm going to pray. Uh, we've just had a lady collapse. Uh, she's diabetic. Uh, ambulance has been called. Um, she's being attended to. Uh, we will keep going. Um, so let me pray. Father, we just bring this person before you right now and pray that you would uh, be her strength and her healing. And we do ask, Lord, that you would help her to recover. Uh, we pray help would come quickly and just ask for your care to be with her at this time. And Father, for us, as we sit under your word, I pray that you would guide us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And if we need to stop, we will stop. Dave Hanbury, am I okay to go? Okay. I want to speak this morning first of three messages on Jesus is. And Jesus is life is a thing I want to bring to us today. And I've got one key verse which I want you to remember, not just remember but believe, and not just believe but take into your life, and that is that Jesus said, and we saw it in the reading, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, it's a very important question to grapple with, who is Jesus? And I want to say it's not a question that typically um, our culture is really grappling with much, if at all. Um, we typically only hear um, discussion and articles appear in the media about the question of who Jesus is round about Christmas time and Easter time, and they're typically not positive. They're typically coming from people with a more sceptical background. And I'm sure we'll see something over the next couple of weeks with Easter arising uh, as people will make claims that the media will pick up to disprove historically what the Christian faith has proclaimed in terms of who Jesus is, that he is the risen uh, Son of God. And I will not be surprised that you'll get some article seeking to disclaim the Christian faith that Jesus bodily rose from the dead and he is the one who gives us hope and life. Now, I want to bring to us today a very important proposition and challenge. But with that, a promise. Um, and the proposition is this, and the uh, challenge is this, that if we give our life to Jesus, it will radically transform us. Uh, and we need to be people who, if I can say, are hearing Jesus, but not just hearing him, but receiving him into our lives. And not just receiving him, but letting him take control of our lives, so that he might not just be the one over us but the one transforming us and the promise is this um, Jesus says if you will receive him as your shepherd as the one who is over you he will actually give you life and not just life it will be life to the full uh, that is the great promise of the Lord Jesus but I want to start by asking a very important question just what is life uh, and I've been thinking about this question this week in terms of just our culture what do we think and see and observe that life is and I think for many people it's many different things now if you're a young parent here, I think one of the most profound experiences of life is uh, when you feel uh, and hear and see that there is new life inside uh, the mother's womb. And it's incredibly profound. And you go to the doctor and you get an ultrasound uh, and you can actually physically hear the heart beating of a new life inside mum's tummy. Um, and it's one of those, if I can say, incredibly powerful experiences. It's one that uh, I know people struggle with in terms of not being able to fall pregnant and such is the grief that goes with that and our hearts and our prayers go out to people in that situation. Uh, but there's no doubt that news of a pregnancy 
And the physical experience of it is a profound experience of life. Now, not everyone here is uh, married and having kids. Uh, we're in Manly. And I'm profoundly aware that life for surface is an empty wave with offshore winds and a rising ground swell. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And when there's no one around and the swell is rising and the wind is offshore and you paddle into a wave and you take off and you jump to your feet and you make the drop and your bottom turn and there's just a glass wall beside you of water and you are screaming along, surfers go, this is life. I mean, this is where it's really happening. And it's an incredible, profound experience for the surfers. I don't get to experience it that often, but anyway, that's life. But I know for many of you, tomorrow morning on Monday, as you head into the office, you'll just be craving some caffeine, sorry, coffee, and you'll think this is life as you sit down and you, in a sense, carve out five minutes to sit in a coffee shop and a beautiful flat white or latte or cappuccino comes in and you can just breathe for a moment and sip it in. And you feel it and you smell it and you taste it. And you think this is life, isn't it? And we love to go to our favourite coffee shop and experience that. Um, but for the young people, life is when they find uh, that first lover or if I can say boyfriend or girlfriend and the girl, she meets a guy who likes her and adores her and she loves him and they walk hand in hand through the park. I mean, there should be more swinging of hands and romance, I'd say. Uh, this is life, isn't it, when you're young? Uh, can, we, can we remember that or are we too old? The heart beats as you see them approaching. You think, oh, isn't it so wonderful? But, you know, for many of us here, this is life. It's a good night's sleep, isn't it? The kids have not woken up. They have not wet the sheets. There is not that sticky smell that you have to engage with and you're kind of looking at your partner in bed going, I think it's your turn. I mean, that's what we say, isn't it? And to have that unbroken night's sleep, that is life, isn't it? And you think, what happened? Are they dead? No, they're sleeping. Oh, I'm alive for the first time in 10 months. Now, I know for others, who went to the Bruce Springsteen concert? I mean, this was life, wasn't it? In the mosh pit. How many of you went more than once? There's a few of you, I know, Okay. And I just want to say, it's over. Life has finished, hasn't it? It's, it's all God. He's gone back to America. But that was life, wasn't it? The anticipation. And then the boss played and you just, you loved it. It was incredible. And uh, for some of us, that's what life's about, having some incredible music, uh, creative experience that we engaged with. But that's not the only thing about life. Um, I had, uh, and I love food, I had an incredible experience with my wife. One of the guys I surf with, and you're all out in the water, and you've all got grey hair, you've wet hair, uh, and you've got wetsuits on. No one knows who everyone is. You just kind of hang out, and uh, there's Peter, there's Bruce, there's Gary, whatever. And lo and behold, one of the guys I'd surfed with turns out to be one of the top chefs, and I mean one of the top chefs. His is one of the four restaurants with three hats in the city. And he says, I said, do you run that restaurant? He said, yeah, I do. And uh, I said, oh, I must come in sometime soon. I went and looked at the website and saw the prices. Next time I saw him, I said, look, I don't think I can come in. And he said, no, no, Bruce, you should come in. He said, we'll look after you. Just, just buy some, you know, a me one meal. I'm thinking, wow, that's enough. Um, <laughs> certainly not like the hamburger shop across the road. But anyway, so we went in there for my wife's birthday. And we dress up and it's just beautiful. It must be a 20-foot ceiling uh, room. It's white. It's just like we entered another time and place. And we had this three-hour experience. And, you know, we paid for a little bit and he just kept bringing meals out. Have you ever tried um, this? No? Okay, in a, out it came. And we're kind of stuffed after four courses and the dessert menu comes out. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't afford it. And anyway, I just, we'll just order one souffle. And we'd seen the souffles come out. And lo and behold, not a souffle came out, but a souffle and another dessert came out. 
and two souffles appeared for us. And this is literally what it looks like. And everyone that comes out of his kitchen looks exactly the same. They're identical, they're magnificent, they're even, they're cylindrical, and man, they taste good. And I'm thinking, this is life. And he put it on the house, it was free too, even better. And it's a passion fruit souffle with this passion fruit gelato. And Oh, anyway, I won't go on. Uh, and I thought, this is life, isn't it? It's incredible. And he was so generous to us. It was just a great experience. But I think um, their experiences, though, I think profoundly, though, the other side of life really is relationships. And this is, uh, I'll start to cry in a tick. Um, this is me walking my daughter down a year ago in a couple of weeks uh, here at St Matt's and one of the profound experiences really was to get in the car at my house and take a quarter of an hour to go from Queenscliff Beach down to St Matt's. I don't know why it took so long but I didn't care. I thought I've waited for enough brides in my time as a minister, they can wait for us. And we just, it was dad and daughter and to have a packed house here and to walk her down the aisle and feel so proud. And it's one of these experiences, you're losing a daughter but you're gaining a son-in-law. Uh, and he's a great guy, Shane. And uh, you think, this is life. And it really is profound. And I want to say, I think that's what Australians think life is. Uh, we've reduced it to experiences. Uh, we're a culture that doesn't, if I can say, live to work. And there's no doubt there are some countries that are like that. They live to work. And the status that will come from that. Um, I think particularly Australian, I think particularly in Manly, uh, there's an egalitarianism and a hedonism that combines, we work to live. Uh, you don't notice so much whether people are rich or poor by what they dress, the cars they drive. Uh, there's an egalitarian spirit about this place. What we really get off on is really what we can get out of this world. Uh, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, there is a hedonism that we love this place. And we live for it. And experience is king. And people literally will save for the next one. They will live for the next one. I mean, what is the great work experience for a surfer? It's that you can work in such a manner that you can take off work whenever you want and be in the water when the waves are up. And I'm sometimes there on my day off on a Friday and it's 10 o'clock and I'm thinking, what are you guys all doing in here? Get out. I want the waves to myself. But you see, they think they've found Nirvana. For families, why is it that uh, we save all this money for one week in the year or two weeks in the year and that time when we go away is so significant? It's because our family is so significant. And you see, it's not just experiences that I think Australians value, it is relationships. Uh, and for single people uh, and young people, it's the sense of having friends and a community that we belong in. For families, it's that real sense that we actually are a family we know each other, we love each other, and we're growing up together and doing life together. For older people, uh, as we lose family members, it's that sense of, I've got some others who I can do life with. And we're walking together on this long road that we call life. But I want to ask the question this morning, where does God fit into this life that we've constructed here in Australia, we've constructed it here in Sydney, and we definitely have constructed it here in Manly? Where does God fit in? You see, because when we read the Bible, it says two very clear things. The first is God created life. Uh, every blessing and every relationship that we experience where there is blessing is from the hand of God. He is the creator. He's created the waves. He's created offshore wind conditions. He's created the tastes 
that make up the richness of food that we get to enjoy. He's created the colours and the sounds that you enjoy when creative people mix them in incredible ways with music and art and culture. He is a God who has created this world that we enjoy. But the sad reality is this, we've turned our backs on God and the Bible's very clear about that. Um, we've not wanted him to run our lives, we've not wanted him to run our families or our world. And what's more, what we've done, and I think we see this so much here in Australia, we've taken what are good things. This is a good place to live. It's filled with great things, good things from God, but we've actually made them ultimate things. And we think life is not with God, and so we don't worship the Creator and enjoy the blessings that come from His hand. Rather, we have turned our back on Him and we worship the good things and we make them ultimate things. And you see, the Bible says that's what idolatry is. Food, travel, family, friendship, sex. We've made them ultimate and we worship them because we think that is where meaning and purpose is to be found that we will find ultimate happiness and ultimate significance and ultimate meaning in life by worshipping and giving ourselves to what are good things but actually making them ultimate things. And I want to say that's not just a problem outside the church, it's a problem inside the church. I think the church struggles with this idolatry and I see it in our lifestyles, in the way that we want everything with no reference to God. But life without God has not yielded blissful living. You see, think with me about marriage. You see, when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it will crush and it will disappoint. It can't deliver because it's not ultimate. You see, marriage is designed to be lived in relationship with a husband and wife underneath God and having his strength to live out the purpose of marriage, which is that we would serve each other. But what happens in marriage is, and I see this so often with marriage breakdown, uh, we don't look to serve our partner, we look for meaning from our partner, we look for love from our partner, we look for affirmation from our partner. And when they don't deliver, there is just disappointment, but also we can crush them. Because, you see, when they won't provide for us the love that only God can provide, when they won't provide for us the affirmation and the significance that only God can provide, so often we will respond not with love and service but with bitterness and with discord. And marriages so often will break down when we look and we actually want our partner to do what only God can do. We want them to love us in a way only God can love us. And so rather than serving, we get disappointed and frustrated and we crush our partner in all sorts of ways, often without even realising what we're doing. You think globally, uh, as a human race, the ecological crisis, um, it's not just a result, uh, it is a result of us exploiting the planet for our own goods. Um, and we can't say it's just someone else's fault. You see, we turn this planet into the ultimate thing and we just want it for ourselves. And the crisis that we're going through is really driven 
so much by consumeristic greed. Rather than look after what God has given us, given us the good thing, this world, we've made it ultimate and we've made it for our own benefit. You think of uh, global poverty. Why do we have global poverty? It's because of injustice. Uh, the world reels with a divide between those who have and those who have not. The issue of global poverty is a direct result of first world greed. Uh, we consume far more than we need and we don't share what we have. Uh, there is enough for everyone, but there is an incredible, incredible imbalance between everyone. Poverty is a social justice issue. We are not prepared to share it with those in need. And we in the first world think, well, we earned it. We made it. We have a right to it. Yet in earning it and making it so often, we've exploited others in the developing world to even just achieve that. Now, why do I say that? Because, you see, we've ignored God in our pursuit of life. And it is destroying us. It will destroy us personally, and it's destroying us globally. We've taken the good and made it the ultimate, but it will only lead to crushing of people and despair in life. Now, I reckon a great illustration of this is actually a takeaway coffee. Uh, and I had to buy one this morning for the illustration. There is such anticipation, I reckon, when you go to get a coffee, isn't there, in the morning. You think, wow. And you go into the coffee shop and it just smells so good. And you think, this is going to be ultimate, isn't it? And you have it and you drink it. Whoops. And you think, is that all there is? And I always feel so despairing after the coffee's finished. Anyone felt that? You think it's all over. It went so quick. Like three minutes later, it's gone. And I get so desperate, I start licking the cup. I think surely there must be more to this experience. The eight o'clock has said, Bruce, you should get a wooden stick. I said, you don't get as much out that way. And I reckon that's just a, a little micro picture of what happens in life. We think all these things and these relationships will actually provide us ultimate meaning and happiness and joy. But we realise, actually, when they're over, there's just a sense of emptiness. And there isn't the life we thought it would bring. Which brings me to Jesus. Um, because he makes this incredibly bold promise. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And Jesus, in this passage that we had read, says he's a number of things that relate under the theme of being a shepherd. And a shepherd in the Middle East when Jesus lived uh, was someone who cared and provided for the, for the, the flock of sheep. Uh, they would take them out to feed and they would find green pasture. They would protect them from wolves and from thieves. They would put them away at night and they would protect them. And the analogy there, he says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm also the gate. Um, he's not meaning a swinging door like on the side of your house property. Um, the gate literally was the entrance to the sheep pen at night. And one of the roles the shepherd would perform would be that he would go and find safe haven for the sheep at night and they would probably have prearranged places that they could take their sheep and they would put them in the pen and the shepherd literally would lie across the entrance and he would become the gate. And he would do that to protect the sheep from wolves that might come or thieves that might come and from also preventing the sheep from wandering and straying and being lost. But the only way into that pen or out of that pen was through the shepherd. He was the gate. And 
what Jesus is saying is, and you hear the echoes of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He is saying to the people of his day, and he says it to us, I am the one who comes to lead you and to feed you and to guide you and direct you and protect you. And this passage comes in the context of religious leaders who were literally killing and robbing the people of God of spiritual life. There's a man born blind, he's healed by Jesus and the religious leader's response is really just to criticise this Jesus who brought life. And they are the ones Jesus refers to as thieves and robbers who kill and destroy. And Jesus says to the people of God, I have come, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, I am the way to find life and not just life but life to the full. And there's two themes that resonate and just keep echoing through this passage. The first is, he says, I am the one who comes to save you. In verse 9, let me read to us. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. How do you find life? It's through the Lord Jesus. He is the gate. We have to enter through him to be saved and to find life. You see, what's killing us and preventing us from having life and rather discovering despair and despondence and emptiness is that we live for ourselves and we ignore the Lord Jesus and we ignore God. And if we want to find life, a life that does not disappoint, a life that will not end, what we need to do is actually come back to God through the Lord Jesus. You see, the reality is this. Um, in our worship of this world, we're slowly killing ourselves. I know some people might have a great life without God, but it will slowly come to an end. It will slowly come to despair. Um, what they've worked for will be lost. And it may not happen until they die, but at that point, you see, all of us will have to face God. And we'll have to give account for how we've lived our life. And for those who all their life have said no to God, they should not be surprised that when they meet God, he says no to them and away from me, you never knew me. God's desire is not for the death of the wicked, but rather to save them. And the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, came into this world to save us and five times in this passage he says these words verse 11 I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep verse 14 I'm the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep verse 17 the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again verse 18 no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. You may be here today and you realise actually you don't know the living God. You've turned your back on him. Here's the incredible thing. He sent his son to be a shepherd. Not to condemn but to save. And that shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come into the world and he calls people to himself. 
and says, enter and find life and enter God's family through me. I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate. And then he says the second thing, he says, oh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what religion does. And that's what irreligion does. They both will rob you of life. Religion cannot save you. And it cannot bring you life. A slavish adherence to rules and regulations that people make up. Rather, life comes through giving your life and responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And six times, he says, come and find life because you hear my voice. You see, the nature of a relationship with God is that we know the good shepherd, we hear his voice and we respond. Let me read to you uh, from verse 2. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He knows that we have failed him. And that's why he's died and he laid down his life. And by his death, we find life. It's the great paradox of the Christian message. That in Jesus giving his life, we find life. And then he calls the lost sheep of the world to come home. And he says, I will give you life. It's a life that will last forever. Jesus will give us a, lo- a meaning to life that suffering can't take away from us. You see, what happens when you get old or sick? and you're not able to experience the things of this world, well, there is a meaning and a joy in life in knowing the Lord Jesus that will go beyond sickness and beyond pain and beyond suffering into eternity because you are now part of God's family. Jesus will give us, if I can say, um, a view of sex that won't disappoint you and leave, leave you lonely. And I don't know where you are relationally, but this world says sex is a commodity. It says sex is something to be used for your own personal benefit and enjoyment and so you have sex with people as you want and with whoever you want is what the world's message is just so you can enjoy yourself. But I tell you, if you do that and practice that, it will just leave you with a sense of emptiness and despair and you see the shipwrecks that come having tried that message and they realise that actually they have not found the connection and the meaning of life that they desired. You see, sex is given to us by God to glue a husband and wife together in the most intimate of ways. And Christians don't have a low view of sex, we have a high view of sex. A view of sex that says it's sacred, it's for the important relationship of marriage between a husband and wife to make them one. Jesus will give give life because he answers the question about the dissatisfaction that we feel about life that secularism can't answer. And you see, that's the reality of life. You chase the next dream and the next experience thinking, maybe that will give me meaning in life. But it never will. It will only lead to an ongoing sense of despair and desperateness as we chase more and more things in life and we make more and more things ultimate which are only good. It is only the Lord Jesus who will give us a satisfaction in life as we give our life to him, our maker and creator. You see, We are made to worship one and that one is God and it's only when we give ourselves to him that we will find life 
and purpose and security and identity. And I think it's the relationships that are so significant for us. Family, it's where we get our identity from. Friendship, it's where we get companionship from. Community, it's where we have that profound sense of belonging. Marriage, it's where we get intimacy from. Um, being a child and having children, there's a sense of which we get our significance and nurture there. And you see, all of those are most profoundly and significantly and ultimately met in actually knowing the Lord Jesus. From him we have an identity that can never be taken away. From him we have a companionship that will be with us through all of life, thick and thin. With him we have a community that we belong in, God's people. With him there is an intimacy that is beyond description. And friends, if you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, I want to call you to come. If you're hearing his voice, come and receive life. I want us to stop and now pray. And I want to ask you the question, do you know this Jesus who gives life? Or have you just been making what are good things, ultimate things, and turning your back on him and worshipping the things of this world? I wonder who here this morning would say to themselves in a moment of honesty, I need to come to the Lord Jesus. I hear him calling me to come is that you this morning do you hear the voice of the good shepherd calling you to come home and receive his forgiveness by his death on the cross and life by the gift of his spirit is that you this day do you need to come to the Lord Jesus and begin relationship with God the Father through him Friends, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And if today you want to come and receive Christ, you want him to be the one who is ultimate in your life. And you want to receive life in his name. I just invite you during the singing of this song or at the end of the song to come down the front because we would love to pray for you and to pray with you and just to seal what God has done in your heart today. So let me pray for us. We're then going to sing. It's also the collection song. And for those who'd like to receive Jesus this day, I invite you to come forward during the singing or after the service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus' name there is life, life to the full. Father, we thank you that he is our great shepherd who laid down his life for us so that we might have life and not eternal death. Father, I pray that you will be speaking to the hearts and minds of those who don't know you. Father, help them to hear the voice of the Saviour, Jesus, calling them to come. Father, give them strength to come to you this day and to accept Jesus into their life as ultimate and Lord and Saviour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.